what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. With me is Chris Fry. We are the co-directors, co-founders of the Foot Candle Film Society and the just-completed Foot Candle Film Festival, which we'll be talking about a little bit more in the episode as we get into it. But uh, Chris, how are you? I am doing well. I have gotten some sleep post-festival, so that's always nice. <laughs> I have not, so oh, I'm still okay. <laughs> working on that. Uh, Chris and I run the festival. It's a multi-day festival, um, and we tip- it typically takes me about a week hmm. to kind of get back in the swing of things, which would put me at now. I should be back in the swing of things now. I'm still not quite there, so I'm uh, working on that. But it's a successful festival. We'll talk a little bit more about it as we get to our new section a bit later. Uh, but thanks to everybody who came out and joined us uh, online or in person for that festival this year. But let's talk uh, Let's talk movie reviews and what we're going to do in today's episode, Chris. Uh, today's episode of Foot Candle Films, we are reviewing two new releases. Uh, one of them is the film Don't Worry, Darling, directed by Olivia Wilde, that we'll be discussing starring uh, he, uh, Florence Pugh and Harry Styles. And then we'll be talking about the film Amsterdam, which is the latest David O. Russell film starring Christian Bale and Margot Robbie. Um, So we've got both those reviews coming up. We'll also dabble in a little bit of movie news that we'll talk about a little bit after those reviews. A couple of interesting projects underway I want to get Chris's reaction to as I bring up those news stories. And then we'll end the show with our discussion of our recommendations, which, Chris, I, I... Especially at being festival week last week. Yes. It was pretty impressive that I got to the movie theater twice in the last week (laughs) as it is. Sure. Um, So I may be a little scant on the recommendations this episode, but I know you're going to pull through and bring me something good as a recommendation, if nothing else. So I am looking forward to that. It may be Chris's one-sided recommendation, Uh unless I come up with something in the next 30 minutes of recording (laughs) this. But um, anyway, let's, uh, let's go ahead and get to our reviews, our main reviews for the show. Uh, both films we're going to be reviewing today, Chris, have a little controversy behind them regarding the production or people involved in the production. Okay. Um, I, I'm asking, and I think you and I have agreed ahead of time. We're not g- going to dig into that. We're not going to talk about the film from that any troubled production on the side of Don't Worry Darling or maybe some concerns that have arisen with the director for Amsterdam. We're talking about the films on their own merits, reviewing them as films. So just where we're clear on that, uh, we're not <laughs> advocating or, or endorsing anything that may be going on with the production of these films or the people involved. We're just saying this is what we think of the films. We're going to review them on their own merits. Does that sound like a good good plan there? I think so. I mean, it's we're, we're trying to just discuss the art and not necessarily the artists. Right. Um, so. It just so happens both these films, unfortunately, There's have some had drama. Some, some drama behind <laughs> sure. the scenes. and. Some controversy, some and some allegations about things happening there. Again, not going to touch on that. Let's just talk about them as films, whether they work or not. And let's get right into our first one, which is the film Don't Worry, Darling. 
all of you wives. We men, we ask a lot. We ask for strength, food at home, a house cleaned, and discretion above all else. Chris, in the film Don't Worry, Darling, we have the story of a 1950s housewife, played by Florence Pugh, who's living with her husband, played by uh, uh, Harry Styles, in a utopian experimental community that she begins to worry that maybe her, the glamorous company that they supposedly work for, could be hiding some disturbing secrets. Chris, we have this film, Don't Worry, Darling. It is the second directorial feature by Olivia Wilde. She did the film Booksmart several years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. And honestly, if you had told me that these two films were made by the same director, I would have been pretty surprised because <laughs> this has absolutely no, nothing like Booksmart in st- in terms of tone, style, or anything. Right. And that's okay. That's a good thing. I, uh, you know, this is a film that's very visual. There's there's a lot of interesting production uh, elements to the story. Uh, you have a pretty uh, pretty nice cast involved. I didn't even mention Chris Pine as as Frank, who is the kind of leader of this, quote, company and community that we learn more about. Olivia Wilde herself is in the film and playing one of the fellow housewives named Bunny. And then uh, Gemma Chan also as Shelly, who is the wife of Frank, the Chris Pine character. So got some really interesting actors in, in, in involved in the project. Um but my big question to you, Chris, is this is a film that relies on a mystery. It relies on a what's going on. And we have a lot of films that come out like that, that are the whole, sure. you spend 80% of the film not knowing what exactly the real deal is here. And the whole premise of the film is to help you try to think through or understand what's happening and whether it tries to make it a shock twist surprise at the end or whether it just says no it's naturally where you expect it to go but we still want to keep you guessing all the way through i'm okay with films that are based on a twist ending i'm okay with films that even the ending is not that much of a twist it's kind of understood this is where it's going as long as the journey to get there is solid Mm -hmm. and an enjoyable ride even if i can kind of predict or know where this film is going given all the elements i just talked about chris Acting, a lot of great actors involved, a really heavy emphasis on the production design of this film versus what we saw in Booksmart years ago. And the fact that it's prim- it, the whole premise is based on a, uh, a, a mystery, an sure. un- unraveling of what's happening to this person. With all those elements thrown in combined, how did this work for you? Did, did the payoff at the end uh, justify the film or do you feel like there was something missing there? You know, it's it's <laughs> simply during your introduction there, I'm trying to, you know, one of the things that's kind of fun to do, you and I did not see this film together, unlike the next film we'll be interviewing. We actually did see together. We saw Amsterdam mm-hmm. together, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, I have no idea how you feel about this film. Correct. So in your introduction, I myself am trying to, A, still process how I feel about it, because mm. I just saw this film uh, two days ago, and then I'm trying to guess Mm-hmm. how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. And you, you lay out something pretty, I mean, it's just, you know, simply a lot of times it's how well does a film work for you? You know, maybe it was the mood you were in or yeah. maybe it's just, I've seen too many other films like this. So I, I can't buy into it. Or you said simply, sometimes 
you know where the film's going, mm-hmm. even though it's supposed to have a twist. You may have even guessed it before you entered the theater, but something can still keep you invested or keep mm-hmm. you interested in it enough yeah. that you're not bothered that you kind of knew where it was going to end. Mm-hmm. I mean, the same could be said for something as simple as like a romantic comedy. You're like, yeah, I know they're going to get together. At you the know, end. they're going to get Big together, warp, but know, as long like, as the journey to get there to the end is enjoyable, it's, it's a good film. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So with don't worry, darling, I, I'm not sure the film, the film overall didn't work for me. Now that okay. being said, it's not like it's a terrible, horrible, completely disposable film. Um, I can, just mentioned right off the bat, the film looks great. Yeah. The cinematography by Agreed. Matthew Libatique, who's done Reckoning for a Dream, Black Swan. He did the Cooper Gaga remake of Star is Born, or he did the cinematography. Like The guy's talented, and the images that are put up on the screen are amazing. Yeah. And you can see that just from the trailer, too. There's a lot of good stuff there. So you know, it looks great. And that's helped by you know production design and costume design, sound design. You know, There are a lot of things that are all clicking I'll go as far to say, too, that um, Florence Pugh, I think the cast, I think is great. And I think not only do they give good performances, but I think, you know, this is, let's just face it, this is a good-looking cast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Florence Pugh, Harry Styles, Chris Pine, I mean, these are good-looking people. And to cast them in a film where this town victory, that, you know, this is where they're, the company is located, it's this idyllic community, you need to have these picture perfect people in this picture perfect community. And guess what? You got it. So mm-hmm. not only are they good actors, but like they, the cast is perfectly cast because you need it to be this way. So that mm-hmm. also very um, satisfying. I'll say for me, a discovery because of, we're not going to get into all, like the drama and stuff, but I am unaware of who Harry Styles is. Uh, mm-hmm. He graced the cover of my wife's Southern Living magazine and stared back at me from the coffee table for like three months <laughs> until mm-hmm. we finally recycled it. But I knew he was in a band. But other than that, like I don't really now, know. Band much. is a tough word. It was a singing. <laughs> it was a singing group. A singing group. Okay, <laughs> but I don't really know. So, and I was really expecting him to kind of be in this movie just because he had fame from outside. So, but now I don't know if. You know, his name is not going to drag me to other projects that he may act in. I think there's one called the something policeman. A policeman. Yeah. yeah that, mm-hmm. That's coming out. Um, but I thought he was good and I don't know if it's just, he, he got to act. I don't know how he is in real life, but I, I thought he was good. Now I do. I didn't find his acting distracting. I didn't find him distracting. So all these are positives, but unfortunately <laughs> you knew, you knew there was, you could tell I kind of hinted. Oh, yeah. there's a butt coming. Mm-hmm. Um, the premise of the film was intriguing okay but for me it didn't manage to differentiate itself enough from other takes on similar themes and came off less than a fully realized stepford wives black mirror episode um too much time for me was spent on the setup and you know the setup if you've seen the trailer but even if you haven't seen the trailer in the first you know opening minutes of the movie you kind of get a sense like okay this is the setup but also immediately you know oh yeah something's not right. Something's up. Something's wrong. And the repetitive hints that something weren't right didn't really interest me or kind of, you know, after the first two or three, you're like, okay, you know, yes, obviously something's not right. And by the time we got to the reveal, it wasn't interesting enough or engaging enough. And that it just came off. And the actual ending seemed kind of like, well, okay, we've already been doing this for two hours. Let's just kind of, or, an hour mm-hmm. and 45 minutes. Let's just rush, 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 rush. Here's what's going on. Okay. And then end. 
And that just felt poorly paced for me. So I've kind of given my whole Mm -hmm. (laughs) nutshell encapsulation. Alan, I'm curious, um, what did you make of uh, Don't Worry, Darling? So there are movies where I, there are disappointing movies. Okay, sure. To me, a disappointing movie is the worst kind of movie I could, I could, I could review. Are you going to mention expectations? No, 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 I had no expectations going in. None at all. Which okay. To me, a disappointing movie is one that is so close to being good. Ah, so close to being good. And it just doesn't know how to close it and and make it work at the end. Okay. And that's what I got with this film. I I will say about 75% of this movie up, I'm digging. I really like, yes. Is it, is it a similar story that we've seen before? Yes. yes. Did I pretty much have a basic idea of what was probably going on? Sure. Got you. But I was okay with the ride. I still loved everything I was seeing up to that point. I'm like, yes. Okay. It's, it's tapping into the same black mirror type episode thing tropes, but I'm okay. And like we've because, seen dystopia films. Yeah, but, yeah. but it's a beautiful film. Mm-hmm. It, it looks great. Some of the visuals, some of the more jarring visuals, some of the things that are meant to keep, keep you kind of off your, off your balance were really good. And the acting was really good. And I'm like, okay, I am thoroughly enjoying this film. Mm-hmm. I know more or less where it's going. Mm-hmm. I can make a prediction. It's going to be somewhere in this arena right. of answers. <laughs> and I'm okay with any of them. Okay. Are they all ones I've seen before? Sure. I'm not expecting anything revolutionary here. I'm not expecting some major, just blow my mind twist that I'm just not going to understand. Right. I expected it to be a fairly predictable ending. And I was okay with that. Gotcha. Because I thought the rest of the film, the production was so good. It kept me engaged, even if I felt like I knew where it was going. But for a film to just, in my mind, drop the ball so bad <laughs> in the last 20 minutes yeah, is the most disappointing. I would rather Chris watch a movie that's bad all the way through and just say, it's a bad movie. Mm. At least maybe I got some enjoyment out of it, but it was still a bad movie. This is a movie that was really good until it wasn't. <laughs> and then when it wasn't, it kind of soured a little bit of the whole experience for me. Okay. Um, and I know we're not spoiling anything yet. We're probably right. going to dip into some spoiler sure. talk here a little bit later in the review for anybody who doesn't want to know the deal. But, And I'm even okay with the premise of the ending. It's more the, 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 it's more the, uh, what is it? Uh, the word I'm looking for. It's more of the mechanics of just how it was, how it was presented to us and, and, and what it seems to counteract and, and change about everything we've saw before that doesn't make sense. Well, that, okay. that's my big issue is the ending. The ending doesn't make sense. And agreed. it actually makes me mad about the rest <laughs> of the film. Okay. Agreed. And, you know, we've had discussions in the past um, things seeming jungled, I think, or jumbled. Mm. I think one of the movies was uh, one of the Pirates of the Caribbean, or maybe all of them, but I think it was the sequel that, you know, there's just all this stuff going on. You felt like, yeah, it was kind of hard to figure out what was going on. It was kind of jumbled in that. And I was like, oh, you know, I enjoyed the ride. It didn't bother me. The jumbledness of how they conclude, like the twist and the kind of, the jump, yeah, it, it immediately took me out of film. Another film I can think of is Inception. Mm-hmm. Like that has a Christopher Nolan's and all very different films, but there's things you have to kind of click into and then either kind of works for you or it doesn't. The pieces fall together or they don't. Right. And this one, yeah, the pieces didn't fall together. Not only that, but like it was like there was a missing piece that 
just made the whole puzzle not fit together. It was, yeah. and it was disappointingly so because, yeah, that that was the thing is like when that was happening, I was like, wait, but if that's the yeah. case, then why do X, Y, and Z previously in the film that just doesn't make exactly. sense? Why would they like? Why would that? Ha- and then the thing is, it's like, and you can, and you know, some people would say, if you, I guess, if you really like the film, oh, well, you're just analyzing it too much. Okay, true, but the fact that I. The film wants you to analyze it. Well, though. The I, film's I like so. set up making you analyze because it. Because it's it's yeah. it is tackling themes of, you know, uh, re- people being repressed or not having to achieve their life goals or the the roles of women. The yeah, roles absolutely. Of men. The role of men and um, women and kind of society and and I, look, I think there's some interesting things sure. trying to be said. What about happiness and about well, like, there's that being able to make choices. But I'll even go a step deeper. I think what we're presented with in the last 15, 20 minutes, when you start to understand what's happening, I think the idea, and we can talk about it in spoilers because I can't, sure. you know, sure, sure. is actually a really interesting take on the whole, we keep using the word Stepford Wives and other films as kind of examples of this whole dystopian world where we find out things are not what they seem. Right. I think there's some really interesting ideas that they're starting to explore, but then they don't really they don't really take it down a path where it's meant to explore those those themes as much as it could and it's done in such a clunky way that you if you walk away from a film questioning why something <laughs> why how does this make sense and you spend more time thinking about that than you do what was good about the film okay you kind of failed at that right. point agreed and that's the shame of it is that this is a movie that is all predicated on what's going on so if you're going to make a film that's all about trying to understand what's going on. You've got to make what's going on work. It's got to work. And this does not. And that questions everything else in the film. And again, I'm still saying that I think this film is really fascinating to watch because there are 75, 80% of it that I think is really well done. It's just, man, the disappointment walking away from this film saying, really, that was the path they took when, I can already think of two or three other endings, two or three other ways to close out the story that wouldn't have been a shock, wouldn't have been a major like crazy twist, but would have worked and it would have made the story work. And it was like, yes, this would have been great, but it just, it didn't want to go that route. And I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Right. I really don't. I'll, I'll say something. I want to, I gave a compliment and I still, I, I stand by my compliment, the cinematography about how the movie yeah. looked great. However, something interesting than what you were saying about some of the images, and I'll just leave it as some of the flashes are like kind of nightmare imagery. They're there yeah. in the uh, the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like that was a cop out and kind of weak shorthand for something bad is going to happen, and I don't really understand. They were like, "Okay, we need to put some creepy imagery," and they just kind of like, I don't, I don't feel like it. I don't know how to explain it without going to spoiler territory, but I feel like it, I feel like it was a cop out instead mm. of actually thinking through what was going to be happening. Like, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, well, it's hard to explain. There's shots of some dancers that yes, yeah. she is in a dance class, mm-hmm. but the way that is used and it's like nightmare stuff. And then there's no, like there's no payoff as to why those images why? are what they are. Other that's than the question. Hey, we can make this look creepy. Yeah, well, you're right. It was, <laughs> there was no why to it, but that's not, that's just to me, that's like, well, that's just a cut. You can throw a bunch of creepy imagery yeah. and it doesn't mean it. You want in a film where things are supposed to mean something. Well, that's the whole the, thing is like, that if you know, this wasn't a film that hung so much on wanting you to try to understand 
what's happening to this main character, then you can make it as vague and oblique and just go after a mood piece all you want and just kind of evoke a kind of mood. But the whole film is based on her figuring out what is going on. So you have to pay that off. And it didn't. I just, it, it did not. Um, and I think some things like you can even mention, and I don't think this is spoiling anything because they show this in both the trailer and one of the instances is on the movie poster. Some of the images, and I'm not talking about these specifically, but now that I think about it, these are things that aren't just images that are flashed, but um, events that happen. There's mm-hmm. a plane in the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some crushing of eggshells with nothing inside the eggs. And all those do is to serve as symbols. And I guess it just kind of gets like, okay, yes, something's wrong. Yes, something's wrong. We know something's wrong. But they just don't, there's no additive. And at the end, there's no summation of, oh, okay, here's right. here's why. And so ultimately- See, that's the thing is that you go through this film, there's so many things that you're like, okay, they are showing us this scene because this is supposed to be We're a supposed to pay attention. clue. This right. is supposed to be some sort of indication of what's happening in this film. And you come to find at the end, no, it had- really nothing to do with what's happening in the film. And that's the shame of it. It kind of reminds me, Chris, of the TV show Lost. Yep, yep, which I loved. I did too. I loved a majority of it. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like just like with that TV show where the whole goal was, we we set up all these little mysteries. We set up all these little clues. How in God's name are we going to... (laughs) explain all of it in a one hour season or a series finale. And they really, they couldn't, they went with the broadest answer they could to kind of solve it. Right. They dug themselves a hole. Here's a situation where we had an hour and 45 minutes of clues and odd miss things happening. And they're all supposed to kind of tie together and they don't. And that's, what's frustrating is that you, my understanding, Chris, and again, I know we're not getting into the drama of the film and I don't want to talk about that end of it, but my understanding was there was a different ending for this film. Okay. That when I heard this alternate ending after watching it the other See, day. See, I have not heard. Yeah. I didn't know this. Okay. After hearing this alternate ending, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that would have worked. Okay. That would have been great. Okay. Why didn't they do this? <laughs> I don't understand. Interesting. And it's just, uh, and again, I can think of two or three other examples of endings for this film that would have totally worked for me. Nobody's going to walk away saying, oh, that crazy was a crazy twist at the end. No, they would have said, oh, well, that kind of made sense. That's what we expected. But it would have made the film good. And it's like, again, I like so much of this film. I mean, I could talk about the acting and the production design and the even the editing down to just, you know, how it was paced at times. There were some tense moments building up. Um, I want to call out a couple scenes. There's a, a dinner scene that I thought was really good. A kind of a mono a mono kind of a, a dialogue between Florence Pugh and, and Chris, and Chris Pine, yeah. which I was kind of digging because we learned something right before that dinner. There was a little tip off of like, okay, something is happening. And now were these two people a little more aware of each other. I'm like, it was kind of a fun little tense, uh, tense dialogue. Yes. You have your hand up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Podcast listeners can't see yeah. that. Um, that brings something else that is a, so we've, you know, I've talked about some of my problems. Um, Chris Pine, I thought he did a great job, and it was fun to see him be a villain, basically, yeah. as Frank. I'll go ahead and say, you know, he's kind yeah, of it's it's not it's something that's clear Because you can kind of get the tone of yeah, that yeah. in the trailer that he's like, you know, kind of— He's up to something. Yeah, he's up to something. Well, yeah. I don't understand—I mean, I know who he is and what he's doing. I don't understand why he says some of the things that he does well, to the Alice character, because it's like— 
you're unless he just wants to make trouble for himself. Well, I, don't, I think there's I think, a line where he is says, he bored? "Is he bored?" There's a line that I thought was really interesting where he, yeah, he kind of says, "I've been waiting for so long for someone to challenge me." He's like, "Because people can only get better if they are pushed up yeah. against by somebody else," and I like that, and I like, but now when you watch the ending of the film. None of that makes sense. Right. No, it's like, right. That's the whole but problem. you caused this, dude. We know this in hindsight. <laughs> right. That's the problem is that if the ending had led to something that I was expecting or I felt like was a, a more valid ending for this, that dialogue would have worked. But now in hindsight, I'm like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Okay. I, so that's the whole question for me. A lot of it. motivations behind Frank and what he does don't make any sense to me. Like, you know, that's... Well, they would have with a different ending. I see. Okay. okay. That's the whole thing is that if it had transpired in a way that was a more logical ending for this story. I think Frank Frank's actions and lines of what he was doing would make more sense. And I liked where it was hinting at that that was where it was going to go and it didn't. Mm. And that's where it was disappointing. So okay. um, I think there's enough interesting moments and things to see in this film that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to say I kind of give a recommendation to check it out because <laughs> I think there's enough to see here. That's interesting. Well, it, it's but not, it's, it's just not I, boring. I, it's, no, it it's definitely not boring, and so. it's. But I will say, I just think that people need to go in with the understanding that look, it's going to drop the ball in the ending. Right. It is going to frustrate you probably in the ending. I think there's eighty percent of this film that's worth seeing. Mm-hmm. Just you got to go in knowing. I'm here to say, I think the ending is crap, and I, I think it's <laughs> dumb, and I I don't, and I think it's a it's unfortunately a disservice to the rest of the film. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so that's my take on it. Um, it's yeah, disappointing. It is disappointing. I think we're I think we're on the same page. Um, it's not a terrible film. No. It, but you know, it's hard to recommend something when they drop the ball so hard. Well, I kind of feel sour, like that ending too. is either some sort of re- rewrite that was done. Maybe they felt like they were too close to another film with similar endings, mm. and they had to change. I don't know. But again, I've heard that there was other endings, and the other ending I heard would have worked. Okay. Would have made me a much happier person after the end of this film. So, <laughs> so that is, don't worry, darling, Chris, do we want to get into spoilers for just a minute? Yeah. And if you want to skip these, just know that, uh, you can skip forward until you hear us talking about Amsterdam. Yeah. You know, when you so. hear us talking about the film Amsterdam, give us a couple minutes here. We're just going to talk a little spoiler talk, skip ahead on that little podcast app, yeah. hit that little forward 30 second button a few times and you should get past this again. If you don't want to be spoiled on don't worry, darling spoilers starting in three, Two and a one. Okay. So what's the alternate ending? I'm so, dying. okay. So, I'm so right. at one point, okay. So basically for anybody who's like listening to this, you haven't seen the movie, but you want to be spoiled. You want to hear us talk about it. <laughs> what you find out with this 1950s, uh, um, um, neighborhood community that these people all live in is that it's actually a computer simulation. It's like the matrix. It's like the matrix. Right. And that in itself it's not bad. No. But what you find out is that basically the Florence Pugh character, she and Harry Styles do have a relationship. It seems to be kind of on the outs at some point. And we see in like flashbacks, like, you know, at the end of the he film. He had lost his job. She was working all the time as a doctor. That's right. And, so, and, and then he was time. online on a bunch of. Uh, conspiracy theory type conspiracy theory podcast one of them being hosted by Chris Pine's character Frank which we have to assume that the whole conversation around that is men's role in society and kind of how men have lost the ability to have power in the relationships anymore 
Harry Styles, you kind of find out is actually his character, Jack, is kind of a, he's a downtrodden guy. He's not doing too well in life. So whether the premise is, is that Frank has created this online virtual reality version of The Sims, basically, like, you know, where everybody can go in. And in this perfect world, we're back in the 1950s, because mm-hmm. probably in Frank's mind, that's when things were the best. Right. You know, men were working and women stayed at home and did a housework. Right. And it's this idyllic community. So we're going to put everybody in there. So we've come to find out Jack and Alice, um, Harry Styles, Frontier's Pew's characters, are basically laying in a bed mm-hmm. with like all those visions kind of being projected on the wall above them. And then their eyeballs, they're like, have a little machine. It's like orange looking. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that just starts to open up so many disappointing well, questions for me about this if, idea. And if I understand correctly, Jack, um, in this Vic town of victory, the husbands do go off to work while the women stay at home all day. And that point when the husbands go off to work, I'm assuming he they're actually unplugging. Comes, he actually goes out of the world and goes off and does some type of real job so that he can make money to actually pay for them to be in this right. simulation. So basically, Alice is laying there in a bed 24-7. Correct. Because at one point you see him take a sponge and like wet her lips so her lips don't dry. But then still, how is she eating? How, how is she, she going eating? to the restroom? Why <laughs> has nobody come to find her and right. check on her? Yeah, all of a sudden, a, family a, just a, a doctor has just missing, gone missing for <laughs> right. like weeks on end. Right. That's where it starts to all fall apart for me. And I then there's this whole thing where they throw out kind of when there's confrontations at the end and Alice is kind of learning what's going on. And she actually kills jack that means that he dies in the real okay. world which again i don't understand how or why that's that's again not anything they seem interested at all in explaining no, it's just kind of I more actually, of those throwaway i little can actually things. buy that because yeah. kind of like in the matrix like it just causes you to have brain trauma or something because you've got this machine on you that it yeah. could some it's still like i guess to some other things like the matrix but okay and so that's why yeah, it's a big thing is if you kill somebody, then that's going to get them in trouble because back in the real world, this dude's going to die and then they're going to be responsible for like a death mm-hmm, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, and I don't understand why Frank's wife would just sit, who apparently has yes. known what's going on all and the time. No Frank's wife's like, you know what? Word up, sister. I'm going to kill you too. Yeah, and so like, she just up and kills uh, Frank with no, yeah. she seemed completely on board with everything yeah. up until that moment. And that made no <laughs> sense. It's almost yeah. like they needed Frank to die just because if he didn't die, that somehow this whole thing doesn't come imploding on itself. Yeah, it just, just, it was so clumsy. Yeah. Yeah. And then again, this did not need to be a virtual reality story. I honestly was preparing myself for kind of a village uh, in night Shyamalan where right. they have created like a 1950s a community place. on a secluded place of the fact that they're out in the middle of the desert. Right. I'm like, yeah, makes perfect sense. I loved the concept of it being that these uh, insecure men right. were trying to, I, I honestly think the idea was that Jack and others were trying to create this perfect world for their significant other. Because they really love them. Yeah. Which, that's where I thought that was interesting. Right. It wasn't just a, ooh, we want to be men and control them. No, Jack is like, I you're you're working all the time and you're doing this and I want to provide falling apart. I want to provide this perfect world for you where we're happy and we get to like sit by the pool and we get to like, you know, do all this stuff. And he really thought he was doing something good. Right. And I like that that idea, that nugget of a, 
he was doing this because he really thought this was going to help their relationship and he wanted to keep her with him. Right. Um, that was all pretty interesting. It's just, why not just make it a, we brainwashed them and moved them to a, a physical community where it looks like the 1950s. And then she's all like, well, you took away my ability to choose yeah. and my choice. And you right. were lying. So like, yeah, that, that could have been more. So what's the alternate ending that they did? I think that was it. Oh, okay. Yeah. That it was going to be like a remote. I believe so. Okay. Yeah. Which I'm like, yeah, that I would have been totally cool with that. Gotcha. Yeah. Would it have been a shock? No, I would have kind of predicted that was where it was going to go, but it would have been satisfying. Gotcha. It would have made sense. Okay. And then if you tie in the whole incel men, uh, a storyline about these being these insecure men who are yeah. really trying to do something good for their significant others. And they think this is the right way to do it. Plus it puts their status back as men in the society. Right. And they do this as this new experimental place. I'm like, yeah, okay. That's kind of interesting. I like that slant on it. Hmm. Let's go with that. But then it just, it takes the most kind of trite way of doing this. Again, the whole virtual reality. It reminded me of that film Serenity that we talked about. That was so bad. I mean, really, yeah. it's like that movie Serenity with uh, Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. If you start thinking about that movie, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like that they're all in a computer simulation. All this works. It's the same idea here. It's like, it just doesn't make sense. Right. So didn't, I don't see the reason why they had to go this route unless they thought, Oh, we don't want to be too much like, you know, these other films where they're just actually setting up a physical, another community somewhere. So right. Just frustrating, sure. frustrating and just didn't make sense. The biggest question for me is how is Harry Styles's character keeping Florence Pugh's character in a bed in this virtual reality world for months? I'm assuming. I mean, it's been a while. Yeah, We don't, well, yeah, we don't technically know how long, but yeah, but it seems just, like it's been a while. I would assume so. At least weeks, you know, <laughs> right. And, and she's and, and nobody's there's no repercussions for this. Like nobody is he's not had to like hide her away somewhere. I mean, it looks like he's in her apartment. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Same apartment. Seems where like they, yeah. pretty easy to, to hey, we're missing Alice. Where's Alice? Why don't we go check her apartment? And oh, maybe we need to actually get the landlord to open up the door and see if she's dead inside or whatever. I mean, it's just doesn't that's work. when things start to fall apart. It's just sure. it didn't make sense. Sure. So. Agreed. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, it's just disappointing because otherwise it was a really good movie. Otherwise, it was a really good movie. Yeah, so. I agree. All right. Well, that is Don't Worry, Darling. We got nothing else to spoil on that, right? We're good? No, we're good. Okay. All right. Let's get back uh, then. We're returning back to our regularly scheduled program. Coming back in three, two, one. And here we are. We're going to move right into our review of the film Amsterdam. Here we go. Carol, I don't know what you think you're doing. Excuse me. Hello. Got a dead white man in a box. Not even a casket. Doesn't even have a top on it. In a pine box of old wood. Who do you think is going to get in trouble here? Amsterdam tells the story of three friends in the 1930s that witness a murder, are framed for it, and uncover one of the most outrageous plots in American history. Uh, you mentioned writer and director David O. Russell. This is his first film since uh, Joy that starred uh, Jennifer Lawrence. This film stars a laundry list of people, much like mm-hmm. kind of similar to a Don't Worry Darling, but we have Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, 
uh, Chris Rock, Anna Taylor Joy, Mike Myers, Michael Shannon, Taylor Swift, Timothy, Timothy Oliphant. Okay, I'll stop. Robbie Malik. Okay, I'll stop. Mm-hmm. Robert De Niro. <laughs> like, just, Zoe Saldana. Yeah, yeah you yeah, just yeah. keep going. Mm-hmm. So um, with all the stars, a lot of times when I see this, it can get me excited about a film or it can start to worry me because I feel like, okay, you know, it has all those stars that are just depending on the star power. It kind of worries me that there are just so many names attached that the film is going to be so fractured. Alan, what was your uh, experience with Amsterdam? Did uh, you know David O. Russell, who we've been a fan of his films in the past, um, Three Kings, I Heart Huckabees, um, was this kind of a film that is up in that echelon of films, or do you feel like it's a lesser work of his? How how'd you feel about Amsterdam? Yeah, I I do feel like it's a it's a lesser work. I like it less than most of his other films I've seen. Okay. I think pretty much without exception. I even like this a little bit less than Joy, which I I liked a little better than you. I know you're not okay. a fan of. Yeah, I was kind of bored by it, but yeah. I I'll say though, I think I think this was passable entertainment and that it was I guess it was fun. It was interesting. It was well produced, well put together. I mean, I'm giving some very, very banal (laughs) praise to it because it is a film at the end of the day that just doesn't really have a lot. The sum of the parts don't really add up to anything really interesting or memorable. I actually find myself not really remembering too much of specifics about the film just because it was just kind of a, it's a, it's a, it's a good story at its heart. I think it's a good premise, but I think the need to put in as many kind of smaller storylines and as many random sub characters as possible really hurt this film and made it to where at the end of the day, it just seemed like a, it just seemed like an exercise and let's just trot out as many good actors and give them one or two interesting lines of dialogue or moments in the, in the film. And let's try to stitch it together in some way, shape or form into a bigger story. And it didn't need it. Um, I actually think adding the, that whole list of uh, the cast and all the storylines that accompanied that cast actually hurt the film more than enhanced it. Well, so. the interesting thing about, for me, about the film, I mean, there are a couple of interesting things, but um, I think in the trailer it says that, like, and I think they, they do use the same, like, on-screen graphic at the beginning of the film, something along the lines of, like, some of this stuff actually happened, you know, instead of based on a true story, this is a true story. They basically say, Hey, some of this stuff actually happened. So you're like, okay, there's some thread of actual history here that is true, but there's a lot of stuff that they made up to make a good film. And you know what? That's kind of good to say up front. So that way you're like, okay, whatever it is, it is, you know, fine. And for me, the part that um, was interesting and I thought worked was Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, and John David Washington forming the three friends that mm-hmm. the film you know is most interested in their relationship? They have all three of them have good chemistry together. Um, they all do a great job acting. The problem becomes when they're not all three together. You isolate yeah. those characters, or you just don't have all three of them. You don't have the chemistry there, and the film gets a little wobbly. Well. And there's a lot of meandering plot lines. And I think it's a situation where the plot gets overly complicated that needs to be overwritten. Overwritten. Yeah, sure. And again, it just doesn't serve its purpose in the end. I mean, I think, again, at the core, if you were to boil down this film to the core, the three lead characters, Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, 
all very good. I liked the performance. I mean, everybody's performance was good in this film. Yeah, I mean, it was good sure, performances. Sure. But there's a much simpler movie that's more effective at the end of the day than this film is. Um, I feel like, I feel like this film was going for, and I hate, I mean, I never want to think a director's trying to just ape another director's um, uh, abilities or, or expertise. But I felt like this was David O. Russell trying to make a Coen brothers film. Oh, interesting. Okay. You know, the Coen brothers films, some of the ones that, I mean, I, I mean, I think all Coen Brothers films at, at their heart are good. There are some that I think are a little overstuffed. And I think some Coen Brothers, they they weave in a lot of other characters, a lot of other little subplots into the main storyline. They have a knack of making it work, where at the end of the day, the whole is, is better. This is a film that I think in the hand of a, the Coen Brothers would have worked because I think they know how to balance all the performances and all the storylines into still something meaningful and something interesting at the end. David Russell, I think just got lost in it. It's like, Hey, okay, I got, I got these three characters. That's great. But let's, let's throw in four or five other subplots that kind of dovetail into this. And, Oh, we got Mike Myers. Oh, let's put him in an interesting thing. Oh, we got Michael Shannon. Let's put him into this thing. And it just, I think, I, I don't think he knew how to juggle it all to make okay. it work as a cohesive piece. So, you know, your analysis or statement about the Coen, that actually sums up what I don't like about this film. I like mm-hmm. Coen Brothers movies, mm-hmm. but I think there is, whether, you know, I'm sure it's probably not intentionally, but yes, I think that's what it is, is this film does not seem to me, in my, it doesn't come across as a David O. Russell film. Yeah. It comes across as a Coen Brothers film because of some of the humor yep. and because oh, of the, some of the performances, the way they're given. I think they were good, but for like the style or for the directing style of David O. Russell and stuff and the tone that he usually does, it just it just doesn't seem to work. And I agree. I think under the, yeah, under something like the Coen Brothers, like something like Hail Caesar – Perfect mm-hmm. example. That's mm-hmm. like a golden age of Hollywood type movie where some of the stuff's true, some of the stuff's made up because yeah. there were things like that going on in Hollywood with the Red Scare and everything. But they just make a story out of it. And you have some bits of humor, but also some seriousness. And it all kind of comes together and it works. And in this film, there's some jumping back and forth in time that makes things a little muddled. And like you say, the extra storylines, instead of maybe filling out the film, right. they weigh it down. They weigh it down. And there's... um yeah. So Valerie Vose, who's played by Margot Robbie, she comes from a family that she's not really fond of, um, but she hooks back up with. And in that family are two people, uh, Libby Vose, played by Anna Taylor-Joy, and then you have Rami Malek playing Tom Vose, her brother and sister. That storyline, not necessary. And it drags, it drags, mm. like... I mean, maybe it's a slightly necessary, but like there are other ways to handle it, and it, it drags it drags things down. Yeah. Um, there's another uh, thread that's done with um, Mike Myers and Michael Shannon. They play uh, some government agent people, mm-hmm. and because they're such big names, and the way they keep trying to hammer home this joke that they have about bird watching doesn't work. Yeah. And it's just like there again, that could have been pared down, and it's just. Just not necessary. Yeah. And then you had a pair of detectives that were also oh. kind of woven in a little bit. And then you had the family, uh, Christian Bale's family, his like wife and family. Again, that kind of woven a little bit too. tried to make a little bit of a subplot off of that. Then there's the whole Christian Bale's character, Burt Benderson is, is working with 
uh, trying to get um, veterans recognized through yeah. a big ceremony, which, okay, that's kind of where things start to come to a head. Story-wise, it's great. But then you bring in his, you know, Chris Rock plays someone who used to serve with with uh, Bert and is kind of connected now too. And it's just, it's just a lot of people woven in that made things just a lot heavier. And uh, again, in different hands, I'm, I'm like David Russell is a good director. I think his, his forte though is where he's dealing with real, real life situations. Okay. I feel like his, his films are much more grounded in reality. Joy and American hustle. The last two he did, I feel like he tried to go more of that, a little more surreal, a little more uh, quirky characters, mm-hmm. maybe not as grounded in reality as he had before. This one, I feel like he is truly going, oh, let's let's just let's have really you know, odd, interesting characters with these different quirks. And uh, I'm going to take a real story, but I'm going to kind of just blow it up and just really have fun with it. And I'm going to weave in as many different characters and I'll have them all have like little interesting quirks about them. And it just it just didn't work as 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 completely. And um, I think I'll, I'll add something to that um, without spoiling anything. Um, one of the thing the murder is um, a senator Meekins. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's his last name. I can't even remember his first name, but uh, Meekins is his last name. And um, his daughter Liz Meekins, played by Taylor Swift, is in the film. Her role completely unnecessary. However, I appreciated yeah, but her, it was, I, without I appreciated her arc. Let me say that because well, it was kind of a kind of a winking at the audience. Oh yeah, and I, and I like that. But like that's an example of something that really it's just there to be distracting. It's not necessary because Meekins, why he's killed like that. You know, that one more way that the story could have been pared down. Yeah, but I, I didn't hers enjoy worked. Her <laughs> I wish more of the subplots had kind of that same winking to the audience of okay, yeah, we realize this is kind of adding more layers that don't need to be here. So let's dispose of it in a really funny way or, well, or get rid of it. Interesting way. And so, you would yeah. agree that it worked probably because it was also short. Well, it was short. And again, it, it kind of, it propelled the action along it even did. further, it which did. I think is needed to do. Some of these other plots did not propel the action yeah, along. So it, it was there. Right. Yeah. And it's a shame because I, I really, I, I want to go back to the positives here because I sure. do think Christian Bale as Burt Benderson was really great. Would that character have been better in a Coen Brothers film? Absolutely. <laughs> but he's not in a Coen Brothers film. Right. He's in a David O. Russell film. He had his oddity about him. He has his, his fake eye, which kind of became a little bit of a, a gag at times. But again, not handled very successfully as I think like other directors might have done it. But overall, Christian Bell's still really good. He's mm-hmm. really good in that role. Margot Robbie is great. I mean, she's kind of been really good in most anything I've seen her do lately. And she's, she's, she gave the character of Valerie a very unique personality and they wove in slightly a little bit of her artistic leanings, which I thought were interesting, but then they didn't really care about it throughout the rest of the film. It didn't really seem to have any impact on the story whatsoever. It's just kind of a little flourish to add in, to add more complexity to the story. So which the story didn't need, didn't need. And (laughs) then John David Washington as Harold Woodman, also, I really liked his character. I liked uh, I liked his and Bert's relationship and their history together. The flashback was actually good, you know, kind of their time in the in the the military together. So there's some good elements there, but then it's just all these other uh, other characters being thrown in, and I, I still really can't quite tell you exactly what the overall plot synopsis was on this film. I mean, I get 
It's three characters that were kind of brought together. They became friends during the war. Now a murder that they're being accused of having committed has brought them back together. But then what they do to try to resolve it, it's still a little muddy to me because (laughs) it involves Robert De Niro. It involves Chris Rock. It involves, you know, the, 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 uh, FBI agents or whatever agents they were of the government. It's just, yeah, it was a lot. So, uh, I, I'm still going to give it a pass overall because I do think it was at least an enjoyable watch. I think there was enough moments where I did find humorous. I think there was some good touching moments. I, I liked the dynamics of the three main characters. I'll give it a pass, but kind of like with Don't Worry Darling, it's just the end doesn't, uh, the end product doesn't work. And you, you walk away with something that you're, I saw as a disappointment and just the, the, the sum of the parts was not greater What's that phrasing? Uh, the uh-huh. the sum of all the parts is not is not greater than the whole or something. Right? I don't yeah. Know. The yeah. Right. So I'm curious. Yeah. 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 The whole is better than the sum mm-hmm. of its parts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So we don't. I don't normally do this, but because we're both kind of struggling on both these films, I feel like which film. And they're very different, obviously. Yeah. But if you were I'm calling, just gonna you know call you on the spot here. Which film do you would you recommend more? Which Don't Worry, Darling, or Amsterdam? Just because I'm curious. Or would you say you have misgivings about both? Well, I got misgivings about both. Right. But if you told me I had to recommend one of them, I guess I'm going to recommend Don't Worry, Darling, only because I think there's more of it works than doesn't. More of it works than okay. doesn't. Amsterdam. Barely works. <laughs> and it, okay. it, 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 at the end of the day, I still found it to be a worthwhile time of an hour and 45 minutes or however long or two hours and 10 minutes, whatever the length is. Sure. Just, I, I think it's one of those films where I just, I can't really focus on the plot and story too much. I just have to enjoy it for the characters and the moments and the scenes. So I ultimately will give, don't worry, darling, my higher recommendation. Okay. Because I think it's a very interesting film, and it looks great, and it feels great as you're watching it. This one uh, was close, but still, <laughs> both of them just really did not produce the end results I think these films needed. Got you. And see, I, I, I don't know. I think if I had to, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think I, I guess I would actually come back and kind of piggyback on what you're saying. That I don't worry, darling. I guess I would because more of it seems to work. More of it works. Um, but, and even yeah. us doing the spoiler talk of Don't Worry, Darling, and kind of reiterating the ending, I'm actually finding myself saying, okay, I still don't like the ending, but maybe it worked a little better than I expected. <laughs> I don't know. It, right. it's still, it was still a disappointment to me. So sure. Don't Worry, Darling is my higher recommendation, but I'm not strongly recommending either film because I do feel like Fair enough. there are some issues and problems. Watch them both for the performances. I think production on, on this film on Amsterdam is pretty good too. I mean, it looks yeah, good. It's Emmanuel Lebeski does yep. the cinematography. So there again, film looks great. There's some good acting in it. It's just other things and production design of the, you know, the period they're going for well, just other things that it's kind story of in both fall. cases in both films. It's story. I mean, right. and, and don't worry, darling, it's how they resolve the story in Amsterdam. It's too much story. It's, it's too <laughs> much. They just added too much to this film and overstuffed, made it overstuffed yeah. and uh, it lost sight of what it could have been at its core. If they kept it a little, little more straightforward, a little more simple. Right. So, 
Well, that is our two film reviews. Don't worry, darling, in Amsterdam. As you can kind of tell, Chris and I are struggling a little bit with both of them and that we want to like them. We want to recommend them more favorably, but we just aren't able to do that for various reasons, all dealing with kind of story in both, both films. Well, Chris, let's take a quick little moment break. Okay. When we come back, we are going to talk about a couple of news items of some upcoming productions that I think are worth discussing a bit. And then we're also going to talk about the Foot Candle Film Festival a bit, kind of a recap of some of that, how that went this year, and then cap it off with at least one recommendation, maybe two, but probably more than likely just one from Mr. Chris Fry. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with Foot Candle Films here in just a moment. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the TheMesh.TV. Um, Chris, we had our reviews of Don't Worry Darling and Amsterdam up in the first half of the show, but let's, let's talk now about some new stuff. Let's talk about some new movie news. You and I like to kind of keep our eyes to on what's happening as far as any new productions or new film projects, especially with directors or actors that we're really kind of keen on following. So this one, the first one I'm going to bring up for us is all about the director. Okay. Um, a director. I know that we have reviewed at least two. I think maybe you gave a review on a third. I can't remember for sure. Okay. Um, but anyway, it is the new film coming out soon, or at least uh, starting production on from Robert Eggers. Oh. Robert Eggers, we know for uh, having done most recently The Northman, right. but he also kind of got on the radar for doing The Witch, right. and he did The Lighthouse. Right. We reviewed The Witch and The Lighthouse both on the show. I never saw The Northman. I believe you did. I did. I actually saw it twice. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's um, a, was that a good sign? I saw it once by myself and my son wanted to see it. So I took oh, him. Okay. Um, it didn't, it didn't, didn't quite hold up. It's interesting and an interesting, you know, he, this was like a huge budget for him to do the Northern, you know, sprawling epic and everything. Mm-hmm. But, um, it kind of, kind of got a little weighed down, mm-hmm. but, um, all right. It was interesting. Well, if nothing else, he is a interesting director. Right. I mean, we were both big fans of The Witch. Mm-hmm. Yes. The Lighthouse, I'll admit, still confounds me to this day, but it was a fascinating <laughs> watch. I'll give it that. Fair enough. Um, so this is, though, a project that is he's been working on or planning for years, and it's kind of starting to come to fruition now. Okay. And I'm personally very excited for. He is going to do a version of Nosferatu, okay. the original kind of old school vampire film story. Uh, He is set to write, direct, and produce the new imagining of this cinematic classic, which follows the gothic tale of obsession between a haunted young woman in 19th century Germany and the ancient Transylvanian vampire who stalks her, bringing untold horror with him. So being David Eggers, I know it's going to have a lot of unique style applied to the film. I don't anticipate it being our run-of-the-mill horror film. I think it's going to be something a lot deeper and stronger. Sure. They have announced the two leads for the film, uh, in the role of the, uh, young woman that's being haunted by this, this vampire is going to be, um, Lily Rose Depp, who you may know as Mr. Johnny Depp's daughter. Okay. And then starring as Nosferatu himself will be Bill Skarsgård. Um, which 
It's, it's a little on the nose. Getting, getting a little typecast. A little. Okay. Bill Skarsgård was also the uh, Pennywise and the It films. We talked about him in Barbarian, Barbarian. being in a horror film there. Uh, yeah, he is getting a little typecast as the horror guy. I think the fact that he is a super tall guy. He's very expressive with his face. I right. think that probably lends himself to people saying, oh, well, let's have some fun with a horror-based character sure. with him. <laughs> but that is going to be the, the film. Uh, supposedly, Eggers has been kind of planning it since 2017. Okay. Um, he initially was going to have Anna Taylor-Joy starring in it, and it was going to feature Harry Styles in the project, which I thought was really interesting. interesting. But since the film has gotten, uh, I think COVID-19 delayed production on the Northmen, which kind of shifted everything for Nosferatu forward. And since it shifted forward now, Taylor joy and Harry Styles both had to exit the project. So that's where we now have Lily Rose Depp and Bill Skarsgård playing those roles. So hmm. interesting. Yeah. This is one I, I think it's right up his alley. I'm excited right. to see, I'm excited to see a very fresh, unique take on that story. Um, so I'm kind of curious about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Um, Lily Rose Depp, I know she's been in stuff, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head that I saw her in that I was like, you know, bowled over by. But I know she's I know she's been in some things. So the two films that I think she's that is listed as her having kind of worked on Silent Night, which I never saw. Nope. Horror film. I believe, yeah. Right? And The King. That was the was that the um, one with Timothy Chalamet? Oh, Okay, and I did see that. I don't remember her part in okay. it. But, um, I so she was that. in those two films. She has a role in the new HBO drama series called The Idol, which I'm not familiar with, but okay. uh, it's supposed to be coming out soon. So, huh. yeah. And I know she was in the Kevin Smith films. Did you mention that already? Uh, no. The Yoga I've, Hosers, I believe. Which I did not see. Yeah, I did not okay. either. So, huh. um, yeah. Right. So, interesting. I mean... Uh, David Eggers, look, not every film he's done has made, has worked for me, but sure. I've got to admire his style and his creativity in his projects. So I'm looking forward to see what he does with this. I wonder if he's going to return back to black and white cinematography for that. Kind of feels like he has to with this. I, I mean, would think so, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, we'll huh. see. We will see. All right, so that's the latest David Eggers film. Now let's, uh, got, Chris, we've gone the whole episode without talking anything about any superhero movies. So <laughs> let me go ahead and remedy that now. Okay. If I can try to get me excited for black Adam. I can't do that. Okay. No, I have nothing on that. So, um, <laughs> how about for, uh, Shazam? No, okay. they got Whatever nothing the for you there. Shazam either. movie is. I can't remember. Uh, Shazam fury of the gods. Right. Yeah. No, it's nothing to do with either of those projects. This is one that I, you and I have talked about already offline, but okay. I at least wanted to bring to everybody's attention. Sure. Um, so Deadpool, the character uh, that Mr. Uh, Ryan Reynolds kind of uh, took on and played for the, that was in the Fox Marvel movie series, meaning the X-Men series. He got to play Deadpool, which is kind of an irreverent uh, breaking the fourth wall type of humorous, but also super violent character that yeah, the first two movies were very popular. And when he, I think there had been some, there had been Spawn, which was an R-rated kind mm -hmm. of superhero comic movie. But this was the first, when he made the first Deadpool, this was like the first 
huge R rate, but it was like, there was a lot of like commotion and press behind it. So I feel like, yes. the, not that it was the first R rated superhero movie, but it was the first like, well, it was the first more mainstream one. kind of uh based off of the, the Marvel. Well, I mean, you got blade blade was rated R I think oh, back in the day, okay. the original yeah. blade. I, believe I guess there'd been a little bit of a hiatus. There had maybe? been. Okay. This one coming, coming, coming off all the X-Men movies, which were all PG 13. And then all the Marvel movies, that all the Marvel movies right. had started up or at least were getting started by the time Deadpool came. So yeah, it was a little bit of a odd, odd one to release. Well, I think fans would have revolted if it had not been rated R because that's kind of Deadpool's thing. I mean, sure. his name is Deadpool. <laughs> he is an assassin. He is, and also on the very uh, raunchy, yes. uh, irreverent side of things. So two movies have been done under Fox when mm-hmm. the studio owned those characters. Um, those rights have gone now to Marvel, which is owned by Disney. Right. So the next Deadpool movie will technically be a Disney film um, <laughs> in the Marvel universe right. in some degree. Right. So that starts to pose a lot of questions. Of how do you pull that off? Not only the fact that, you know, do you still make Deadpool rated R? Um, is he going to be interacting with other Marvel heroes? And if so, how does that work? Because he hopped from another world. I don't know. It's my head hurts when I think about it. <laughs> How they're well, going to pull it off. And releasing wise, you know, they now have, which I would have thought would have, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, would Disney ever bring under its umbrella an R rated hard R pretty much cartoon? Oh, yeah. They would have been like, no, absolutely not. And even when Disney plus started, if you would have said, well, you know, now that they own, are they ever going to put Deadpool? I'm like, no, they'll never put Deadpool or Dina. No, they would what? never put that on Disney plus. And they and did. They did. They, did. they <laughs> so, put dead. Both Deadpool movies are on. Disney Plus with like a, a disclaimer that comes up, I think, you know, to say, hey, this is this is rated R. This <laughs> right. is more adult. Right. Please be careful. Whatever. <laughs> right. Well, all right. So getting on to Deadpool 3, everybody sure. knew that they were going to make this movie. The first two were very successful. Ryan Reynolds very much loves playing the character, it appears. So they have announced a Deadpool 3. They even released the second one twice with like a Christmas version. They yes. had like Fred Savage. Yes. It was kind of like Take Off on Princess Bride. Correct. Yeah, they've had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Um, I liked the second Deadpool. I mean, people aren't as high on it as the first one. I thought the first one wasn't that great, but I did enjoy the second one for what it was because it just went it just went over the top, sure, all out, and I enjoyed it for that. So I had a good time. Have you seen the Christmas like Princess mm. Bride type take no. on it? Mm-mm. Okay, I have Once Upon a Deadpool. Yeah. I think is what it's called. That's right. I actually would like to see that because yeah. I believe they take this. They make it PG thirteen. I think it is a kind of watered down version, yeah. but it's all in that framework of Deadpool reading to Fred Savage, kind of like in the uh, uh, Princess Bride. <laughs> right. Yeah, I uh, I laughed harder. I laughed the hardest in Deadpool too that I've probably done in a the movie theater in a while. I mean, there are some legitimately really Fair great enough. funny moments. Fair enough. Um, so Deadpool, Deadpool three, the way they announced this film is Ryan Reynolds did a video he put up online, basically talking about how. They've been really working hard on the next Deadpool film. He's been trying really hard to come up with an idea, but at the end of the day, he's really got no ideas. So then as kind of a joke in this video, Hugh Jackman is walking behind him and Ryan just kind of calls out to him. Hey, Hugh, you want to play Wolverine in the next Deadpool movie? And Hugh Jackman just kind of says, yeah, okay, sure. And that's their announcement. (laughs) So basically they're saying Hugh Jackman returns as Wolverine in the new Deadpool movie. Now that, of course, fanboys are just mind blowing everywhere. <laughs> and it causes more questions for me. I mean, A, 
we saw Wolverine die. I mean, and basically, Logan. Hugh Jackman had his swan song playing uh, playing him in the movie Logan, which was a very good movie. It was. And that was kind of a nice way for him to be sent out. And is, it's like, is that now on Disney Plus too? I'm no? not sure. Okay. I don't know. Um, so it's a little, a little bit of a, okay. So they're not quite done milking that cow yet. They're still going to get a little bit of Hugh Jackman in here. on sure. this. I'm assuming this is going to happen before the events of Logan. Cause I think Logan was a little bit in the future when it took place. Gotcha. Then there's the whole question of, okay, so now will Deadpool still be rated R or are they going to make it a PG-13? Because now you've got a big big Marvel hero coming back as a big thing. You know, I mean, kids are going to want to see that, you know, younger people. I don't know. It makes it really interesting. And will Hugh Jackman play Wolverine in a rated R movie? Because well, Logan was rated R. Oh, that's true. Yeah, Logan okay. was rated R. You're right. You're right. So he has done that to some degree already. Right. Um, I feel like anyway, if they it's just made it interesting. PG thirteen, like the internet would explode. Yeah, <laughs> but who knows? It is fascinating. And then, of course, there's a whole idea that supposedly Marvel has has never made announcements of doing an X Men movie of their own, which eventually they're going to. I mean, they own the characters now. Why? Why wouldn't it they? is a popular set of character? Why not make a movie off of it? I think they're really pacing themselves before they announce it. But at some point, they're going to have to have somebody play Wolverine. I mean. Hugh Jackman's great, but I don't think 10 years from now, whenever they're kind of dipping into the X-Men universe, that he's going to be wanting to play Wolverine anymore right. or need to play Wolverine anymore. Right. So are they using this as a way to send them off? Is this a way to introduce a new one? I don't know. Again, when we get into this whole multiverse thing, which is what my fear is, this film is going to dip heavy into. Oh, no. That's where my head starts hurting. And I think, I don't know. Um but do I like the idea of seeing Hugh Jackman play Wolverine again? Yeah, sure. Especially playing it in a film, have fun with playing it. in a film where it's a slash comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's played as kind of a buddy film where it's like Deadpool's the crazy, loud, obnoxious one, and Wolverine's <laughs> the dour, you know, a little more aggressive one, and they have to kind of bounce. I don't know. It could be something kind of fun. Okay, it's worked in the comics, so I could see it working in the film. But I just thought it was an interesting way of not only announcing that, but now all the questions it does pose about distribution and rating and where it goes and all that. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Do they, is it 2023 supposedly when it'll be done? 2024. Tw- okay. No, so they got quite a while. Of time. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. They're, they're just now, I think starting on okay. production. So September, 2024 is the quote official release date. Got you. End quote. Hmm. Yeah. So that's our two movie news items. Uh, we've got, you know, interesting project with Nosferatu. I'm very excited about any more curious project with Deadpool three and some of the announcements they made there. We'll be curious to see where that goes. All right, Chris. So now's the time where we end up the show with our recommendations. Again, I've got nothing. I really, I was scouring my letterbox account trying to look and see, have I watched anything else in the past couple of weeks? Other than, oh, no, we were going to talk about the festival. Yeah, I'm sorry. Just, Gosh, I forgot all about the festival. We would definitely want to recap that before we got to our recommendation. Sure. Um, we did have our Foot Candle Film Festival that ended uh, last weekend. It ran from the 21st through the 25th of September. Uh, we showed 48 films A lot. over the course of five days. Uh, we gave out eight awards at the end of the festival. We had many of the films with filmmakers in attendance and we just had, it was a really, really great time. Great, great, great event. Thank you to everybody who attended or supported in any way, shape or form. We really appreciate it. But Chris, why don't we, uh, 
your overall impressions of just kind of what you saw with the with the festival weekend. I mean, and the quality of films that we showed. And yeah, any? I'm always um, impressed with the number of people that we can get to come out to see films and the directors showing up for Q and A's. That's always a worthwhile experience. You know, it makes the festival experience something unique and awesome. I mean, going to see films in a theater is good these days, but then having the extra bonus of Q and A's and the directors talking afterwards always makes it makes it special. Um, I think. Every year, our festival, I mean, we, I think we're able to increase, this year definitely, we increased the number of films we, we showed, and I feel like we also kind of just notched it up just a little bit more with, like, you know, the quality of films we were able to bring. So that's always a, always a good sign. Yeah. And uh, the fact that we were able to add a little bit to this year's festival, we, we added a youth international kind of showcase of films that were really geared for a younger audience. We got to award a couple of awards from that category, along with the six awards that we always traditionally do both a combination of audience favorite awards and uh, judged awards as well. So let's, let's kind of hit those highlights of those winners. Grant, and that's not to say anything less of the one that didn't win because sure. we showed, we showed 40 other excellent films throughout Absolutely. the weekend. And, and we really appreciate all the filmmakers being involved, but at the end of the day, there were some awards to give out. So let's kind of recognize those. We had two two awards in the youth international kind of category. This was our partnership with the Greater Hickory International Council, where we got film submissions from around the world that were for short films, primarily targeted to a younger audience, uh, you know, ages nine through 13, 14, 15, somewhere in that neighborhood. The one that was uh, voted on as the best youth international short film was My Brother is Deaf, a short documentary by Peter Hoffman Kimball that um, I think really, you know, people really connected with really well. And the judges absolutely, absolutely did. But then we also had an audience favorite youth international film. That was the film Inside the Wall, directed by Alistair Care, Alistair Care from the United Kingdom. That was a stop motion animation film that I think a lot of the audience there the day of the, the screening, especially the younger audience, I think they really, really had a good time with that film. Sure. A lot of fun there. Um, Best narrative short film overall, meaning outside of the youth film, but just the whole festival in general. By the judges, the best narrative short film was Distances, directed by Susan Behar from Spain. And the best documentary short film was Unspoken, directed by William Armstrong from Botswana. Um, Yeah, that was our kind of, we showed the narrative short film Distances. We showed in our block of films that we show in our our narrative block. The film Unspoken was shown during our short film showcase on Friday evening, kind of our uh, big event we have at this kicking off the weekend. Um, audience favorite short film, though, was The Panola Project, a short documentary that we were really you know, happy to be showing and had the actual subject of the documentary there with us to talk about the film. It was directed by Rachel DeCruz from the United States, all about one woman's efforts to make sure everybody in her community in Alabama gets vaccinated for COVID, which uh, it was a, it was a, it was a great little film put together really well, just the right length. I think it worked for everybody in the audience for sure. Yep. We had a best narrative feature film, which was you resemble me. Uh, That was actually the first film we showed in our festival outside of the youth films. First official like single screening of a film on Friday morning and it ended up being our best narrative feature film, directed by Dina Amer, also from the United States. Best documentary feature film was Ricochet, directed by Jeff Adashi from the United States, a story about a, 
a uh, murder conviction uh, in the San Francisco area that we follow the lawyers who had to kind of work towards uh, defending their client in the situation and some of the uh, drama and, and trials they went through in doing that. And then finally, Chris, uh, our audience favorite feature film, meaning of all the fe- feature films we showed, this one was the favorite for our audience, was The Hoy Boys, directed by Dave Simmons, Simmons uh, also from the United States. And uh, that was a great documentary about two brothers, the, the Hoy brothers, who both became photojournalists and followed a lot of Washington and politics and uh, cultural events and very well known for a lot of the photography that they, they did and a little bit of their relationship as brothers. Any takeaways from those, Chris? I mean, I, it's eight great films that got awards. Um, yeah, it's, it's just nice to be able to highlight the films that we're able to bring, the 48 that we're able to bring. You just feel like if we weren't able to bring them, there's a good chance that people wouldn't see them at all because there are so many films out there. There's so many in the theater and then also services like Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime. You know, there are just so many. There's so much out there that it's awesome to bring be able to bring this selection and then have people appreciate them as much as they do. So it's just, it's fun. And uh, it's great to be able to highlight films that people otherwise may not be able to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Well, I think I, I, we got a lot of feedback that the quality of the films continues to grow every year. And I think this year we definitely had a nice high mark as far as film quality and audience reactions on those films. So it was a really great weekend Foot candle film festival. Number eight is in the bag. Now we start planning for number nine, which will be in the year 2023. We are targeting right now that last weekend in September and in, in 2023. More information on that will come available once we make official announcement of the dates and everything else. Probably uh, early next year, we'll make the uh, big proclamation and get that ball rolling for everybody. So if you missed it this year, come out and plan to join us next year. Last week or weekend in September 2023 is the plan. So we'll hope to see you there. All right, now we will get on to our recommendations. <laughs> recommendations. And again, I still still have no recommendations, Chris. Okay. I've been watching a lot of TV, uh, kind of more um, uh, limited series, you know, kind of started up on different platforms and really getting into a lot of those. But that's not what this show is about. So I'm not going to talk about any of those shows. <laughs> I was going to say, between the 48 films I watched during our film festival weekend, uh, and then the two that we had to review for this today, um, I'm kind of tapped out on film. So gotcha. Chris, do you have a recommendation or maybe even two you can share with us? Today? So what I'll do is I'll, I'll make two. Um, we are in, as of the time of this recording, uh, we are in the month of October. So I'm going to try to make two films that you might consider for like Halloween viewing. Um, no, they're not horror. Either one of them are necessarily horror films, but they have some, I guess, action and I don't know. I'm going to recommend it for Halloween, I guess. Mm -hmm. But uh, one, the first one I'll recommend is from 2010. It's available on Hulu. It is Predators. And this is not the first sequel to Predator. Um, That was, I think, I can't remember what that, Predator 2. I think it was just that. It was was Predator 2 was the official sequel, first sequel to Predator. And if I would have been thinking correctly, I probably would have. Uh, mentioned this when we reviewed Prey, which came out this year, which was a Predator sequel, which was very good. Um, Predators, what I liked about it, you know, it's <laughs> the sequel is way better than it has any right to be. Hmm. Um, it's not perfect, but the mere fact that it's 
doesn't care, is just trying to do something different. And okay. I don't want to tell you what the setup is because right. I think that's part of the joy of watching Predators. It's like I say, it's available on Hulu. Um, so I guess it does have the Predator monster. So I guess if you want to consider that's why I'm recommending it for Halloween. But I just I had fun watching it. It's kind of a turn your brain off, just enjoy it. But I thought there was enough new that they were trying it. They were just trying to do something different. Okay. And I thought that they it worked. Um, so that's Predators. It's, it came out in 2010. And just to make sure there's no confusion. Okay. We have Predator and we have Predator 2. Those were the ones back in the 80s. Honor Schwarzenegger was in the first one, I believe. Um, Donald Glover was in the second one. Glover, yes, was in the second one. Or not Donald Glover, Danny Glover. Danny Glover, Sorry. yes. Childish Gambino had nothing to do with Yeah, I don't <laughs> even know if he was born yet. So, he yeah. may not um, but then the third film in the series, if we don't count the whole Alien versus Predator junk, Got you. was, I believe, Predators, and that's 2010. This film that you're talking yeah, about, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's the third one in the series. If you really want to look chronologically gotcha. at when they're released, and it has Adrian Brody in it. So if you're Correct. trying to find directed like, by Nimrod Atal, yeah, Antal. But then there's a fourth one called The Predator. Oh, which was the one by Shane Black, which I am definitely not recommending. Okay, that one no good. <laughs> no. Did not turn out good. No. Then we end up with Prey, Prey, which is I guess now we're looking at as the fifth in that kind of. Predator series, right? Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think I missed anything there. I don't think so. The one you are recommending is the one with yeah, Adrian Brody and Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. And Topher Grace. Yes, yes. Topher's in there. So okay. and it's widely available on Hulu. So, All right. As well as you can probably rent it. Predators. Places. Yes. Got it. All right. So um my second recommendation, I'll you know, take I'll give the one that normally would go for Alan. I'll go ahead and make a recommendation. Um this is more, I guess. More of a Halloween because it has to do with like a haunting or like ghosts and stuff. Um, is the Devil's Backbone? It's from two thousand one. Mm. It's vintage Guillermo del Toro. Oh, yeah. um, I had never seen this film, but I'd heard people talk about it. Um, there was a film that del Toro produced called The Orphanage, which somebody else directed. Uh, Bayona, I think the same guy who ended up doing one of the Jurassic Parks, did The Orphanage, which I like that film as well. I guess that's a third recommendation. But um, you can see where some of the ideas for the orphanage came um, by some of the stuff that's going on in 2001's um, The Devil's Backbone. Um, they're effective with what they can do with very limited budgets because, like, this was Del Toro before he got really huge. Um, and it's more of an art film, but it is still kind of creepy. And there's something going on with this ghost that keeps popping up in this orphanage because it was, or yeah, it was, it's, it's an orphanage as well. So anyways, um, I recommend that one devil's backbone. It's on HBO max. Hmm. So, uh, two films there, maybe three, if you want to go for the orphanage as well. And that one, I guess would be more of a straight up horror film, <laughs> but anyways, those are the recommendations. Huh. So yeah, I'm interested in the devil's backbone. Um, but what remind me, what is the next film that del, del Toro has got coming up? I think he has released or has he released the Pinocchio that's coming out? I don't think that's come out yet. Okay. One of the Pinocchios, I think the Disney plus version that he is not involved. He's not involved with that one. That was Zemeckis, right? And, and, and Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, I think he's just, well, he is directing it. It's a stop motion animation film that he's directing. He's directing with somebody else. And it's coming out on Netflix. That is a Netflix in December. Okay. Yeah. So that's coming out soon. Beyond that, um, everything I see with him on the director side is, let's see here. 
Um, what's upcoming? Ooh, I don't say anything. Hmm. Uh, I know that he is supposedly still involved with the haunted mansion. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, that's like, uh, which they tried to do that with Eddie Murphy and they released over, you know, haunt, but there, I do remember us talking at one point that they were going to make another haunted mansion. Yeah. That's my okay. understanding. That's the only thing I see him kind of on the horizon. You know, he's got a TV series that's come out now, that cabinet of curiosities. Right. So, uh, that's kind of the things he's been involved with. But as far as film goes, uh, right now writing haunted mansion, which is in supposedly in post-production, it says, so okay. I don't know if he's directing it though. I can't remember if he signed on to direct it hmm. or not. So anyway, yeah, it's a uh, curious to see what else he's working on, but devil's backbone, one of his earlier works and you're giving it as a recommendation. Yes. That's good. Mm-hmm. Okay, Chris. Well, thank you for pulling double duty this week. <laughs> no uh, problem. That. I will work hard to have a recommendation for next time we get together. And Hopefully I'll be able get to some catch sleep on something. and have a recommendation. Maybe there's a little bit of that involved too. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that was our show for today. We talked about the films Don't Worry, Darling. We talked about the films Amsterdam. Uh, very tepid reaction <laughs> to both films. Ultimately disappointing, I think both films were for us. But there's some, there's, there's some stuff there. There's some stuff worth seeing. Just be prepared to have a disappointment and just kind of let down in how either it ends or just the overwritten story on Amsterdam. Uh, Then we talked a little bit about some movie news items we've got coming up, talked a little bit about the film festival, and now our recommendations, courtesy of Mr. Fry, both The Devil's Backbone and Predators, with an S at the end. Make sure you search for the right Predator movie. (laughs) You could go many different directions if you don't find the right one. If Adrian Brody's not in it, it's not the right Uh, one. Abort, abort, (laughs) go get to the right film. Yeah. Okay, Chris, well, if anybody's got any opinions or things they want to share with us about anything we talked about today... What should they do? So you can send an email to info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. We're also on Letterboxd where we try to track what we're seeing and leave short little reviews. Last but not least, uh, consider giving us a star rating, write a review, share with friends on whatever service you get your favorite podcast. It'll help us reach, reach new listeners and we'd appreciate it. All right. Well, we're going to go and wrap up this episode of Foot Candle Films. Then we will look forward to seeing everybody next time we get together to record, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. And we will talk to you all then. Thanks. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.